0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Okay, well, social media is a relatively new phenomenon, right? I mean, is that, what, maybe 10 years? Has there been some kind of, any kind of popularity in social media? I don't know. What's that? It's crazy. So I am a card-carrying member of the old school, okay? I don't have a Facebook account. I don't have an Instagram account. My wife has Facebook. She's not as old school as me, but she's not as old as me either. So um, I do have a LinkedIn account because my employer makes me have a LinkedIn profile out there uh, on Google. And, uh, and I do have a Twitter account, although I've never posted anything uh, ever. I just, I just follow certain, certain pastors, you know, R.C. Sproul, John Piper, uh, Paul Tripp, Paul Washer, pe- people like this. Um, but one of the things I think is interesting about Twitter, and I'm going to get a little sidetracked here, is did you all know that Spurgeon tweets... Spurgeon tweets, J.C. Ryle tweets, okay, and I follow these guys, but I never respond to them because I'm afraid that I'm going to break that, I don't know, I'm a little scared of, of jinxing it because, you know, we get to hear from these guys, <laughs> but anyway, anyway, my, my point is this, is that social media, in, in some regards, has brought us closer as people, at least globally, right? Globally, we had a young man staying with us who lives in Italy. And I can just text him or email him, and and he gets it instantaneously. So I am am well-connected to him, okay? But one thing about being a card-carrying member of the old school is that this next picture, it bothers me a little bit. It does. It bothers me, and I'm not here saying, you know, chapter and verse. This is wrong or anything like that. But yeah, they may, they may, and, and they're, we're debating up here whether they're actually talking to each other <laughs> or not. They very well might be. Like I said, is this a sin? No, I'm not. I'm not bringing it up in this way. But I'm saying this is some of the phenomenon that is social media and and some of the things that old-school people like me just kind of have to deal with, right? So having said that, does this seem like we're better connected? Does does this seem like we're better connected? I don't know. I'm going to argue that we're not, and the reason I'm going to argue that we're not is because based upon a few studies... Articles, differing things that I've read. The, the younger generation is probably more into social media. And, and not only into social media, but we also have this that we can carry with us and have these means with us all of the time. Okay, But, but in various articles that I've read, and again, these aren't the word of God, but the loneliest generation is the younger generation the loneliest generation is the youngest generation, okay? Am I saying this is the reason? No, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying it's, it's, it's kind of a fact. We were made for intimacy. That is one of the, the ways in which we were created. Think about one of the first things that God said to Adam or about Adam when he was in the garden he said, it is not good for what? It's not good for man to be alone. So Adam had no companion that was suitable for him amongst the created animals. And so God, in his grace, created, out of Adam's rib, woman to be that perfect helper, to live in intimate union with Adam. Okay? Not, not only does the Bible tell us that, and I'm going to get a little bit silly here, but doesn't society tell us that as well? Society tells us this. So, Batman had Robin. <laughs> right? It was Batman did not fly solo. You know, they were solving crimes in dialogue and collectively together. Same with these guys. I mean, they were solving crimes, weren't they? Shaggy had Scooby. And who's this? Butch Butch and Sundance. I mean, you know, come on. Butch had Sundance, for sure. So we were created for intimacy. So what does that have to do with union with Christ? Well, that might be a little bit of a silly question. But what is one of the pictures that we have of union with Christ? I I said there were four metaphors that the Bible talks about. Bride and bridegroom. Bride and bridegroom, bridegroom, meant for intimacy. Marriage is something that is intimate. So, union with Christ depicts this to his church. That he is united intimately uh, with us, with his church. What does the word Emmanuel mean? God with us. God with us. So, this morning, to demonstrate how union with Christ gives pilgrims like us hope for the journey home to the celestial city. You know, my John Bunyan reference there. We're going to look at four things, and these are the four things that are on your handout. Okay? All right. So where is Christ right now? What is he doing? What is our position in Christ? And how does that give us help? I'm sorry, I'm going to try to fix my collar here. How does that give us help? How does that give us help? You know, so uh, to, the answer to the question of where is Christ right now, I think there's a little precursor to that, little precursor to that in, in Isaiah 50, uh, 57, 15. It's a, it's, a, it's a fairly well-known passage. But God, through Isaiah, is saying, I dwell where? In the high and holy place, So and also with him who is of um, a contrite and lowly spirit so, so here is God speaking through Isaiah Saying there's two places that I am And he said it From the high and holy places He says this is where I dwell I dwell up here There's another place I dwell It's with those that are of a lowly And contrite spirit Okay, So Point number one Where is Christ now, and what is he doing? So Christ, still owning his physical, earthly, human body, still hypostatically united in two natures, so truly God, or fully God, and truly or fully man, still united together. So, in these two natures, where is he? So, spiritually, because he is God, where is he? Spiritually, because he is God, where is he? And let me phrase it in another way. Because his deity is a spirit, that nature, right? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. Where is God? Where is Jesus? everywhere is there anywhere he's omnipresent okay did he not say this if he you know behold i am with you to the end of the age where two or three are gathered there i am among them so spiritually he's omnipresent but physically where is jesus Seated in heaven at the right hand of God the Father. So that is where he is physically. So, why is he there? And what does it mean for us? Those are just questions, rhetorical. I'm, I'm going to try to walk through those and answer them. So, here's another question Where is heaven? If he's in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, where is heaven? West Virginia, that's almost heaven, Dan. That's not quite heaven. Wasn't there an old country song that said, if heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I don't want to go? But where is heaven? It's where God is. Very good. So it's not so much if I got into a spaceship and just flew as far as I could possibly go, that eventually... I'm going to run into heaven. I don't think. I mean, the truth is, we don't know physically where heaven is, do we? Does the Bible say it? I, I don't, I don't, maybe it does, but I don't know that. Why does the Bible give us spatial relations with regard to heaven and hell? I, I think probably just to say that there are two distinct places. Is that what you mean? Anyway, I'm going with Mary Ann's answer. Heaven is where God is. Heaven is a real place. And um, it is a place where God dwells. It's where his glory permeates everything. Do you remember when Stephen was being stoned? What what happened? He looked up into the sky. He looked up into heaven, and there, what did he see? Saw the glory of God, and he saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the throne. Heaven is a place where God's will is always done, and I want to qualify that, perfectly, righteously, and wholly, is that a word? It's not, but, but we're going to say that. What did Jesus teach us to pray? He, he taught us to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this is where heaven is. So, nonetheless, we know, we don't know where heaven is, but we know that it's the place where God dwells, and we know that Jesus is there, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. But why? Why is he seated there? We know that, I mean, I, I think most of us know that's a position of, of dignity and honor, right? That's one of the things, the reasons he's there. But in being there, here's my answer. He is, he is executing, as the old Westminster Confession of Faith would say, he's executing three offices. What are those three offices? prophet, priest, and king. So let's look a little bit about those things. So, again, tying it all together, Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father, performing wherever heaven is. It's where God is. And he is executing these three offices. So, as king, we know the Bible tells us that he is the king of kings and lord of lords from First Timothy 6.15. Matthew 2.6, and you can jot these down if you want to look at them later. Just for the sake of time, I didn't want to put them out there. But he rules and shepherds his people. That's what a king does. He rules. And not only that, he is a conquering king. He conquers sin in his people. Micah 7.19. And I did actually do this one because I think this is a really cool passage He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. He is not an impotent king. He is the all-powerful, almighty king who rules and shepherds, and he conquers the sins of his people. What else does he do? Well, he rules us with a gentle yoke, doesn't he? he rules us with a gentle yoke he rules and reigns over his enemies as well as our enemies so what are our enemies what are his enemies i'm asking example what are his, what are the enemies of christ satan pardon the world, good, the world, the flesh, sin, and then what's the final enemy? 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-five and 26, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. That's the final enemy that he will conquer. So, this is what Jesus is right now doing as our King for his glory and for our benefit. Okay. Now, as a prophet, as a prophet, and first of all, what is a prophet? Short answer, what's a prophet? It's when your company makes money, right? I'm kidding. Well, a true prophet is somebody who speaks for God. Somebody who speaks for God. Who said that? I'm not, I'm not trying to, to, to embarrass you. I'm I just saying, man, that was a good, clear answer. I heard you. That's exactly right. Somebody who speaks for God. Yes, Rick? One who testifies the gospel. Yeah, that's a word from God, is it not? In our completed canon, especially. Yeah, so, so Christ, as our great high prophet, reveals to us... By his word and spirit, the will of God for our salvation. That's the, the prophet that Christ is. Remember what the woman at the well said? Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Well, she was actually insightful there, wasn't she? Luke 24, 44 and 45 tells us this about, about uh, Christ's office as a prophet. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. This is giving us a snapshot of of Christ, a little microcosm of his office as a prophet. And as we said as the great high prophet, we said this last week, that he becomes to us wisdom. This is the wisdom of Christ that's imparted to us by his word and by his spirit. One of the greatest things that Christ teaches us is that this world is temporary. Right? This world is temporary. It's not, it's not going to last in its current state. Uh, James calls it a mist or a vapor. Here's what here's what uh, Paul said about it. So we do do not lose heart though our outer self is wasting away our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are not seen or that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're they're temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. This is one of the great things that Christ reveals to us in our souls. So our position in Christ tells us that also, that the things of earth are temporary. And uh, we'll actually circle back to that um, in the next point. Okay, so... Christ, the third office, is that he is our great high priest. So what's the difference between a priest and a prophet? A priest, a priest speaks for the people to God. Yeah. So a prophet is one who has a word from God to the people, and a priest is one that has a word from the people To God. Okay? So Christ is our great high priest. This office has two parts to it. Okay? Two parts His obedience, both active and passive, and His intercession for us. Okay? So, what is Christ's active obedience? What is his active obedience? No, his active obedience was during his lifetime. So it was, it was the perfect keeping of the law during his lifetime. That was his active obedience. And I don't know if you remember in, in one of our classes before, but... His obedience was our obedience. God saw it as our obedience. Okay? So, what's his passive obedience? The sacrifice on the cross, the the shedding of the blood for the atonement of sin. That was his passive obedience. Okay? What is his intercession? And first of all, what is intercession? Mediator, okay? I think think the definition would be this, is to make a request on behalf of another. To make a request on behalf of another. So this is the office of our great high priest, Jesus Christ, to make a request on behalf of another. So what qualifies Christ to stand before... The Father, as John Flavel, the old English pastor, said, this indignant deity on our behalf is what? What qualifies him to stand there before? His active and his passive obedience. That qualifies him to stand before this, the indignant deity, the consuming fire that is the Father. This is what qualifies him to do that. And uh, if, you're, if you're taking notes, Hebrews seven twenty six and 27 is a good place to see that. So, just a little summary here. So where is Jesus and what is he doing? He is in heaven, seated at the right hand. He is ruling, reigning, defending us, As our king. He is conquering our enemies. He is subduing our wills. He is teaching us by his word and spirit. He is pleading his merits. Making continual intercession to the father on our behalf. Now this has been a little factual. A little theological. But isn't that just awesome? Isn't that just... It's, it's like too good for words. Can this really be true? Is this really true? Yes, believer. This is really true. He is not a passive savior. He's very active on behalf of his people. So he is bodily in heaven. But spiritually united with his saints that's part of the union with christ that we have is we have a spiritual union with christ remember behold i am with you always until the end of the age that's a great promise to cleave to he is with us and as uh we've been saying union with christ uh, is how he dwells with us and we with him It's how we have communion, how we have fellowship with Him. Okay, so the next point on your outline. What is our position in Christ? What is our position in Christ? Well, we've talked about that we have a new identity, we have a new name, we've been baptized into the name of Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 6 tells us that we live in a new realm. We live in a new domain that is free from the dominion of sin. We no longer live in Adam, but we live in Christ. This is a new realm. Again, sin no longer has power over us, although we don't always feel that way, for sure. But in Christ, this is the truth of of Romans 6. But positionally, what we see is that we are raised with him, so he, he raised us up with him, meaning the Holy Spirit raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's our position. Now, are we there right now? I see all of you here. Spiritually, yes, spiritually. So Christ bodily is in heaven. Spiritually, he is omnipresent. We bodily are here, body, soul, but spiritually, our place is in heaven. We're not there yet. We're not there. We have not crossed over. But we are seated with him in the heavenly places. And if you're going to ask me to explain it, I I don't know that I can. Just being honest with you. But I know that that's what the, the Bible says. But it certainly does have implications to the way that we think, doesn't it? that we are seated. In fact, uh, we'll look at Colossians 3 in just a little bit, and and that will kind of give us some some ideas as to how we are to think about this. So, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we are dead, right? We can't get more dead than how Paul describes us. We are spiritually dead. And then, verse 4 comes around, but God, because of his love, because of his mercy has joined us with Christ. One of the other unions with Christ that we have, not only spiritually, but vitally. We have life because of our union with Christ. That's what we see in Ephesians chapter 2. We have this life. So, God gives us this great love, unites us with Christ, and there's this kind of resurrection that happens right just like he said to lazarus he said lazarus come lazarus come forth and what did lazarus do he came forth in the same way that inward call that we have of the holy spirit we come forth and we are resurrected we are resurrected we are seated with him we are co-enthroned with christ in a place of honor and in a place of dignity. That is our position in Christ. In fact, Philippians 3.20 tells us where, where is our citizenship. It's in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. This is all done for us by the Spirit uniting us to Christ, received by grace and through faith in Jesus Christ. His word teaches us this. His spirit inwardly testifies of this. And because of our union with Christ, we're already heavenly citizens. We're already there. I think I had the verse here, Philippians 3. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Okay. All right. Next point. Sorry, got a little zealous there. How does this help us? And before I get into some of the prepared notes that I have, let me just open it up. How does this help us? I'm asking you, how how does this help? John Rose. Okay. Helps to change our, our thoughts about what's going on today. How else? We don't do good works to gain our salvation, but because we have been saved, we do good works. Right? And this is this is some of the benefits of the salvation that we do have is the offices of Christ. What else? Kathy? Everything that goes on in our life is there. That for, yep. Everything that goes on in life is, is making preparation. We're, we're actually to count trials as joy, right? How many of you had joy this week? <laughs> Absolutely. Helps us as we struggle with sin. How so? Has dominion over us, right? It really doesn't. And that's, that's what I was referring to with the, the Lloyd-Jones illustration. Is It's like a person who lived in a field on this side of the road where sin and death reigned, and we've been transported to this side of the road. This side of the road, this field, has no power over us because that's not where we live. We don't dwell there. Our dominion is over here. This is, this is our domain is over here. Okay. Pardon? We have something to hope for. That's right. A Christian has a new hope. A Christian has absolutely a new hope. And this gives us evidence of that new hope. Does it not? This gives us biblical proof and evidence of this. Anyone else? Give us, or give a sense of lost or That's right. We have, a, we have a story to tell, don't we? We have a story to, to tell others about. I mean, this is, this is gospel grace, without a doubt. Anyone else? All right. Well, hear some of the thoughts that I had and how this can help us, meaning this. And I mean very specifically that J- Jesus uh, is enthroned, seated at the right hand of the Father, performing or executing these offices. That's what I'm talking about most specifically. So here's how I think they can help us. is First of all, he blazed a trail for us. He blazed a trail for us. And we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 4 for this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Let us hold firm to our faith. Let us hold firm to this. So, he's passed through the heavens. There you go. He, he ascended bodily into heaven, going before us directly to the right hand of the majesty on high. That's kind of a, a path that one day we fully and totally will take as well, right? If we are united with him. Our citizenship is already there, and he has gone before us. He's blazed that trail for us already. Now, the Old Testament priest would enter into the Holy of Holies how often? Once a year. And what was in the Holy of Holies? The Ark, what else? Pardon? God's glory, God's presence was there once a year. Christ went before us as our great high priest into the presence of God once for all. He has blazed that for us. What a privileged position we have. Consider the old. Why is the the new so much greater? Well, this is, I mean, that's Hebrews was written to, to demonstrate that for sure. All right, second point is that it gives us sympathy and comfort. It, being Christ's office as a priest, gives us sympathy and comfort. Okay? Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, tempted as we are, and yet without sin. So Christ became like us in every respect. Christ learned obedience through what he suffered. So I ask it this way. So if, if we wanted to do the insane thing, like climb Mount Everest, okay? I'm not going to say it's insane, but to me it is. My old body. If we wanted to climb Mount Everest, what kind of a guide would we want? Been there before. Somebody had been there before. How would that help? What's that? Knows how it's done. Knows what the pitfalls are. This is Christ. He knows the way as well, doesn't he? Our, our guide, our Sherpa, uh, Uh, Mount Everest. He knows the way. Christ knows the way. He knows the temptations that we face. Now, one problem in the Christian faith that that we can kind of run into, I think, with with Christ's sympathy uh, toward us is, well, how does he really know because he never sinned? How does he know my struggles? How does he know my temptations? Does anybody think that way a little bit? Don't raise your hand. Can can we can we kind of say that? Well, he doesn't know my temptations. I I think I think that we can fall into self pity. Self pity. Amen. And being able to heal and all this and having people speak well of him mm-hmm. all the time, even Satan reaffirming him when he was in the wilderness, you know, angels are gonna come give you that pridefulness, you know, pridefully, but that sense of pride is constantly there for the taking, but he chose not to. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. Very good. Well, I have to be honest. I can fall into that a little bit. When I, when I'm, if I'm being honest alone, I can think, what does Christ really know about my struggle last week, last year? What does he really know about it? Because he never, he never fell into sin the way that I do. Okay? C.S. Lewis answered this in his book, Mere Christianity. Quote, He said, only those who try to resist temptation know how strong that it actually is. And his illustration is this. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it and not by giving in. So Christ knew the strength of temptation, the power of temptation. He was tempted just as we are tempted, and yet without sin. He's a sympathetic high priest He knows your struggles. He knows your struggles. The third thing is that it gives us confidence. Verse 16, it gives us confidence. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When we come to the throne of grace, do we find a gloomy God like you again? Is that who we find there? No, no. He sympathizes with our weaknesses and He gives us the confidence to draw near to Him because of unending grace, because of unending mercy. Because of the forgiveness of our sin, once for all, in our Lord Jesus Christ. We can also draw near because Christ ever lives to make intercession for us. Hebrews 7.25 tells us that. He ever lives for that. Again, Christ isn't like, I've got to go make intercession again. Here's the prayer. Here's, okay, I'll do it. I got other things to do. No, he lives to make intercession for all of us. He lives for it. Like, I'm, I'm stereotyping a little, but like some people live to go shopping and some people live to go fishing or hunting or watch football. You, you see bumper stickers like, like that you know, all the time. This is what Christ lives for. He loves it. He loves to make intercession for us. He is not like uh, an old saying I heard, a mule looking at a new gate. Okay? (laughs) He isn't. He isn't. I think Robert Murray McShane helps us here with this comment. He said this, Let us then with confidence... Oh, I'm sorry. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. That gives us confidence. If my life is hidden with Christ then what can separate me from the love of God? Your sin might separate you from communion, but it will not separate you from the love of God. So all of this might sound really, really high and lofty. In fact, it it does. It does. But what could be more real? What could be more down-to-earth than these very things? Then we have intimacy with God in Christ. We have a sympathetic high priest. We have a king who rules and reigns to subdue sin, to to destroy our enemies. We have a prophet who speaks through his word and spirit to our souls. What could be more real and down to earth than that? Okay, the second way that we are helped by this new position in Christ is that we have a new aim. So our our aim is different. It's no longer this. It's no longer horizontal. But our aim is heavenly. What did Paul say? I press on. I press on. He was upward. So let's look at this, this passage really quick. We're running out of time. In fact, Colossians 3, 1 through 4, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, say this. Seek the things that are above. This gives us, so if we've been raised with Christ, we are to seek the things that are above. We are to set our minds on the things above as well. So, physically, I live right here in Evansville. I live, I work, I worship right here in Evansville, Indiana, USA. North America, planet Earth, Milky Way galaxy, I guess. So I'm, I'm right here. But spiritually, in my spiritual union, I'm somewhere else. I'm altogether different. And trust me when I say that place is far greater than here. So we're already there. There's those elements of the already but not yet right there in front of us. Right there. I have been raised with Christ. I have been seated with him at the right hand of God. And I am already a citizen of heaven. So, what does this mean to my life? And what do these things mean? To seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. And to set our minds on the things that are above and not things on the earth. Does anybody have a a comment about that? A thought of what it means To seek the things above and to set your mind on things above? Pardon me? It would be him. Meaning Christ. The first thing that we ought to think of is Christ. Very good. Yeah, I would agree with that. Here's what uh, Bible commentator John Eadie said about this. Whether the things above be a fuller glimpse of heaven, a higher preparation for it, or a sweeter foretaste of it, whether it be to learn its songs, reach a deeper sympathy with its enjoyments, or realize a living unity with its population, Still, Christ at God's right hand enjoys a special preeminence, as Brother Dan was saying there, as those attainments are from him. And the song, the service, and the inhabitants of heaven have him as their object or as Lord. That was a whole lot of archaic language and and lofty speech. I, I get that. I had to read it two or three times to, to really grasp it. But, but consider a couple of things that he said. Seeking the things above would be a fuller glimpse of heaven. How does that help us in our trials? It's only temporary. It's only temporary. And it's preparing us to have a better glimpse, a fuller glimpse of heaven. It's preparing us for it. It's given us a sweet foretaste as we think about what's going on in heaven right now. There's no sin. There's no presence of sin there. We have that to look forward to because Christ is there. Christ is there as our prophet, our priest, and king. Okay, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I, I gave you this quote from Sinclair Ferguson. So I want to close uh, with this and then maybe just one thought uh, on it. I told you, I keep two quotes in my phone, and this is one of them that I constantly remind myself and and try to go back to. From the New Testament's point of view, those who have almost forgotten about their own spirituality, okay, my duty, because their focus is so exclusively on their union with Christ. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with duty. We are called to duty. Duty. But anyway, their focus is so exclusively on our union with Jesus Christ and what He has accomplished are those who are growing and exhibiting fruitfulness. Only where our piety forgets about itself and focuses on Jesus Christ will our piety nourish by the ongoing resources the Spirit brings to us from the source of all true piety, our Lord Jesus Christ. So, is Christ our heavenly position in Him and our union with Him. The aim of your focus is that what you're focused upon. Is this what you're focused upon? Uh, setting your mind upon these things. So uh, I close with this this verse from Psalm thirty-seven, four. Okay. So all of that, fifty minutes of eh, you know we we've been in some high and lofty places. Um, Think of this. Let's just narrow it down to this. Are you delighting yourself in the Lord? Is this where you find delight? Or do you only delight when he's good to you, quote unquote? When things are going well? Are you delighting in him? So Psalm thirty seven four delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Any questions? Comments? Okay? Let's, let's close in prayer. Father, again, we praise you for the gloriousness of your great salvation. May we not neglect to go deeper, to go more fully, to fix our eyes upon things above and not things on earth where Christ is. God, this isn't lofty speech. This is your word. We find ourselves so, so encased in the moment. We find ourselves so encased in our trials, our difficulties. God, you've already answered all of those things. You've placed us in union with your son. And he is ever interceding for us. We thank you for that. God, we pray that you would be greatly praised from the hearts and the lips of your people this morning. We pray that you would help us to do that well and to do it rightly and that you would be pleased. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.